So how does worship, prayer, and good works, works of charity, the corporal and the spiritual works of mercy, how do these fit together in the Christian life? Because St. Therese of Zoo seems to think that they're not that important, or does she, I guess. Here's what she said. In the evening of life, I shall appear before you with empty hands, for I'm not asking you, Lord, to count my works. But she seems to contradict what Teresa of Avila, the reformer, reforming founder of her Carmelite uh, discalced order, uh, said several hundred years before Therese of Lisieux, uh, may I not come before you, Lord, with empty hands, since rewarded according to our deeds. So what's the deal? Do we uh, have empty hands? Do we have full hands? Does God want to see good works? Or are they absolutely irrelevant? Therese of Lisieux understood the importance of good works is rooted in the love of the church. So she it's famous as having said, I understand that it was love alone that made the church's members act, that if love ever became extinct, the apostle would not preach the gospel and the martyrs would not shed their blood. So the motivation for good works is, is our love of God. Uh, a modern spiritual writer, Henry Nouwen, said, Dear God, I'm so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who will I be when I have nothing nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you with empty hands? Please help me to gradually open my hands and discover that I am not what I own, but you what you want to give me. I think I love how Therese says it. She says, if I have my hands full of things, then God can't give me a present. So today when we think of the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee, these two attitudes in prayer. Maybe it should inspire us to think about how we worship God, how we pray, and how we think of our acts of charity. So let's turn to the gospel. The gospel for this week, the 30th week of Ordinary Time, is from Luke 18, and here it is. Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. Two people went up to the temple area to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of humanity. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes on my whole income. Greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. But the tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven and beat his breast and prayed, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The word of the Lord. Think about this in terms of the whole discussion between the Teresas, the dueling Teresas, about the necessity of good works. Good works alone aren't enough. They have to come as an act of love, essentially as act of sacrifice and worship to God um, for the good of another. So just go through this parable. Jesus addressed it to people who are convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. 
you know, I know it's very common to, for Catholics to feel like they're very judgmental. You know, we all draw judgments. But what Jesus is hammering on in this story is the sense of our own sense that everything's all right with us as we look out into the world and hammer other people. I think one of the things about being judgmental is that oftentimes we talk about the same kinds of sins that make us uncomfortable. But, you know, the Pharisee, this is not a bad person. The Pharisees were very respected in, uh, in Israel. And you just listen to his life, and he is trying to live this authentic Jewish life. He fasts twice a week. He pays, uh, what, a 10% tithe on his whole income. And he looks off into the world, and he sees the same kinds of things that we see and that we're thankful for not in that life, how easy it is to fall into this uh, sense that everything's okay because we haven't sunk as low as other people. I think one of the healthiest things we can do is to pray for the people who commit the same sins that we dream about or sometimes fall into. But who Jesus holds up as the, uh, as the exemplar of the life of prayer is this tax collector who just stands before God and beats his breast and says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Um, you know, that is good spiritual space to be in, friends. Uh, and as we think about how it is that we show up at mass and worship, let's remember that we all start with repenting of sin. And it's one of the most important moves we make in the mass. So we're going to take a moment now and we're going to turn to a discussion of the worship of God, prayer life, and, uh, and good works, how it is that we're supposed to go out into the world and evangelize and live the Christian life. Consider our conversation so far. We've talked about humility, empty hands. We've talked about the necessity of good, good works. Uh, so we do have something to show God. And Jesus tells us if we're humble, we'll be exalted. But even like the Pharisee who actually does some good things, to just be full of ourselves. There's all these paradoxes in Christianity. Um, we can't really give something to God he doesn't already have. Uh, all we can do is be beggars before God. What I wanted to suggest to you is that the reason you go to Mass on Sunday is that the Mass slowly, sometimes imperceptibly, but um, completely transformed your life. Because in the Mass, you begin with humility, you ask forgiveness for your sins. You're going to remember the story of, of who we are, because you'll listen to the scriptures and the, and the priest's homily. You're going to do what Jesus asked you to do. You're going to support the church, and you're going to support the poor. Uh, when you when you give something in the various collections, the first and the second collection, and then you'll be invited to dinner and uh, and the presence of God in your life, in some way that it takes you into the depths of God. You can't do that at home. You can't do that on your own. This is part of Christianity. If you believe what I just said, that that experience of Mass of a community humbled before God, not just you, but you and humanity humbled before God, remembering what God has done for you, 
reaching out to work to God's work when you support the work of the church and to the care of the poor, and then coming to dinner at God's table. This is the Christian life. There was a priest once who said, your faith is rarely where your head is at and rarely where your heart is at. Your faith is where your ass is. And what he means is you do what you believe. And if what you believe is that you're following Christ and you're part of the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people, then you're at Mass on Sunday. Uh, I know, and you have heard also, I have God in my heart. I pray. I do all of these things. Boy, it sounds suspiciously like the Pharisee, right? Uh, talking about all the things that you do that put you in into uh, God's presence. But when you come to Mass, um, it's not something you're doing. God is doing for you. And that's why in the church we talk about active participation at Mass, because it's not fundamentally your action to be actively participating. It's someone else's action. Um, it's God's action. You probably remember John Lennon, the Beatle. He said that he gave up going to church after the priest threw him out for laughing. And then he just went to church in the temple of his own head. And if you listen to John Lennon's music, you understand that's exactly the trajectory his life took. And, you know, he was a very talented guy. But so was the Pharisee. It's not our goodness that makes us attractive to God. God created all things. God wants to fill us with himself. And if we're already full of ourselves, we really can't, uh, we can't accept what God wants to give. So if you think of the Eucharist as this drama that you participate in, Mass is this, this transformative experience that takes you from humility to listening to the Word of God, the history of your people, to participating in the work of, the, of God's people, and then to be fed at God's uh, table, you understand why the Mass is something very different than just personal prayer. You know, in the Middle Ages, uh, they really did have this strong, strong faith in the presence of God, relics, uh, sacred images that were windows in the divine, but above all, the, the Eucharist, Eucharistic adoration comes to us out of the Middle Ages and around the, the time of St. Thomas Aquinas. And the hymns that we sing, uh, O Salutaris, Tantum Ergo, Pange Lingua, Adoro Te Devote, these are all Eucharistic hymns that Thomas Aquinas wrote to help attract us um, to the Eucharist because the Eucharist is this gift that God gives us, that he reaches down to us through his grace that we respond to. You know, in the Middle Ages, um, that's where they first came up with monstrances, the ostensorium, um, the large liturgical vessel that we still use to display the Eucharist at Eucharistic adoration. But there were other things they did in the Middle Ages um, to draw people to Eucharistic, the adoration of the Eucharist. Um, that's where the bells come in to ring at the time of the consecration so that if you were drifting, it would alert you that transubstantiation was happening. There was in some places where they put a black cloth down behind the uh, host as it was being held up by the priest to... Um, um, to 
further uh, put an emphasis on this host, which in these big medieval churches may not have been so easy to see without that, uh, without that aid. In fact, Timothy Radcliffe, in his very good book, Why We Go to Church, told one story about the Middle Ages where one very devoted man paid to have installed these little wooden angels that would descend from the rafters at the moment of the transubstantiation, the moment of the offering of the bread and wine that becomes the body and blood of Christ, so that you understood that heaven had just come upon you. So all of it, however, really is rooted in uh, what Jesus said. Do you remember we said why we should go to Mass, why we should celebrate the Eucharist? He said it was because we were to do that in memory of him. You know, the word history is never used in the Bible, but the word zehor is used 169 times in the Old Testament and more times in the New Testament. Zehor means remember. And so the people would remember Moses. The people would remember David. We rem remember um, our Lord and his mother. We remember the Christian saints because they're not in competition with each other. This is all the presence of God in our life. So with those reflections, just think a little bit about the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. First, a little bit of geography. They're in the temple. The temple is a place where sacrifice happened so that people could be reconciled to God. You could offer individual sacrifices, but above all, the priest, the high priest, would offer a sacrifice for all the sins of the people. It was also a place where you could go and pray. Foreigners could go and pray in the, in the court of the Gentiles. It was a place of prayer for all, if you remember what our Lord said about it. But it is that place of communal prayer and worship and it's the place where individual prayer happens. And to understand the difference between worship and veneration, liturgy and individual prayer, worship, liturgy, always has sacrifice at the center. And it's the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's why the Eucharist is central to the drama of the liturgy of Mass. Prayer is always about veneration. Prayer is how you discipline yourself to talk to and listen to God. To ask for others, prayer is a part of individual prayer. Worship is always a communal event. C community doesn't give us worship. Instead, worship draws us together into community. It, like a sacrament, actually makes present, that is community, what it symbolizes, what it shows us in the Eucharist. And so that when we, when we um, come to Mass uh, to worship God, uh, there's individual prayer always going on at Mass, but it's subsumed in, lifted up by the communal prayer of the church. And you know where you see it in the Mass? Do you remember the part where the, where the priest says, Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. It happens right after the priest holds up the bread and holds up the wine and says that this will be uh, used to, for, for this uh, 
participating in the sacrifice of Christ. It's the means he made available to us to prepare to, uh, for the sacrifice of Christ. Then you remember when the priest says that, you and the people all respond. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all of his holy church. And so this sacrifice isn't just on our own personal account, though Jesus died for each of us. It is about the entire community. God comes to save a community. So what happens when people want to avoid the community on Sunday and they decide that they have created their own religion? Well, friends, I, you know, I think that is something for God to judge. But for us to remember that the Mass... The Eucharist is something God gave each of us. We're called to, as I said before, active participation. That comes to us right from the Second Vatican Council in Sacrosanctum Concilium, which was the document on a divine liturgy, that all gather Christians, all gather together. Christians come together in one place for the Eucharistic assembly, says the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And at its head is Christ himself, the principal agent of the Eucharist. That's why the scripture says Christ is the head, but we're the body. But this sense of sacrifice that we're called to, it's this sacrifice there. Jesus calls us all up into himself. When St. Augustine used to talk about Eucharist and Mass that he would celebrate in North Africa, Instead of saying the body of Christ to people, he would say, receive who you are. But when we say the body of Christ, it has the same sense of receive who you are. Because when you look at the Eucharist, when you gaze on it, you're seeing yourself not as an individual, but yourself drawn up into this greater, greater mystery. And the Second Vatican Council talked about in the liturgy, as in our, uh, our parish, St. Mark, that's what present is both unity and diversity. And so the unity is because we stand together, we kneel together. We say, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, together. We say, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. We say it together. Unity is present in, um, in, in the Catholic worship of God because we worship as one person. You know, I think other churches, other Christian denominations outside of uh, Catholicism and Orthodoxy uh, don't share the same understanding. Um, and so their prayer services uh, seem to be much more about a group of individuals each worshiping on their own I also think that's why, say, uh, evangelicals or Baptists or Methodists have a trouble understanding our veneration of our Blessed Lady in the communi community of the states, the, the community of the states, the communion of the saints, because we understand worship, offering this sacrifice, participating in the sacrifice of God, is how it is that we worship God the Father. Veneration is how it is that we receive with respect and reverence the gift of God's presence in the church, especially amongst the, the, the saints. And so when we worship at Mass as a community and we pray individually on our home, 
say at church or, or at home or when we're driving down the road, say in the rosary, we're experiencing both the unity of the faith and the diversity of the faith. St. Pope John uh, XXIII said um, in 1959, he said, Catholics observe unity in necessary things, liberty in doubtful things, charity in all things. That's a great saying. He's really very good, um, uh, St. Saint, Saint John uh, XXIII. But necessary things, that's why the liturgy is so important that we share it because it's necessary to the community of the church. Uh, in things where it may not be at the same level of certainty at the Eucharist uh, and the, the worship of God, uh, individual liberty. So we all have different uh, novenas or, or devotions that we can, uh, we can uh, pursue on our own. But active participation in the Eucharist at Mass means we join ourselves to what the community does. And this is necessary uh, to participate in the sacrifice of the Mass and the transformation that the grace of the sacraments um, call us to. I think what has replaced liturgy, because mostly because of uh, American versions of religion, is uh, that personal prayer is enough. Personal prayer is essential, but remember the story of the temple and the tax collector and the Pharisee. Um, how is it that we worship perfectly? We're never gonna worship perfectly on our own. Nobody ever can because we're human. When we gather as the body of Christ and worship corporatively, that is, as a corpus, a body, uh, it's Christ that lifts up our individual efforts into perfect worship before God. It's the sacrifice of Christ that transforms us into himself. Um, what do you do without that grace of God? I'm not going to venture a guess. What I know is that if you know the truth of the Eucharist and the liturgy of the Mass, you ought to be there on Sunday. You know, personal prayer is not in competition with the liturgy. Uh, venerating the saints is not in competition with the worship of God, but it is something about what heaven is, where we are free to just admire the beauty of everyone and everything God has created. And it's that beauty that we can see in the saints and hopefully in each other at Mass that draws us to the truth of God's presence in that beauty and then puts us into communion with good. Um, but friends, the story of the tax collector. We've talked about how the Pharisee is full of himself, although he does all these good things. And in terms of tithing and all of this stuff, add personal prayer is a good work. We need something more than just what we do. What we need is the grace of God to draw us up into his body. And this is the liturgy. That's why every Mass, we start the same way that that tax collector did. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We say, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Or we say the confidier, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. You know, when we start there and we understand this is who we are, 
and we acknowledge it with everybody else there, we are joined together in a common understanding of who we are before God. So what are empty hands? Well, at the very least, the empty hands that St. Therese talks about means that we're not full of ourselves. We're in touch with who we are before God. And St. Teresa of Avila is not going to argue with St. Therese of Lisieux about that. I think that when I put up that little fight between St. Therese of Lisieux and St. Therese of Avila, what you're seeing is the dialogue, the, the dialogue of saints, the conversation between prayerful saints that occurs over a hundred years. Can you imagine that when you come to Mass and you sit and you remember, and you remember the stories from the, book, the, the five books of the Torah, you listen to the prophets, you listen to the preaching of St. Paul or the four evangelists, that you're being filled with the beauty of the Christian faith, yes, your mind's hopping all around. Maybe the kids are misbehaving. Maybe you're worried about somebody you love so much that is suffering. It's just like everybody else that's there with Christ. Through the Mass, we are made present as his disciples. So, empty hands. We empty our hands so we can fill a gift. Be, have our hands filled with God's gifts. And if you think that Mass starts with us confessing our sins, and then as we come through the story of the scriptures and we offer what little we have uh, for the work of God, and then we listen to the, to the priest and the consecration and the Eucharistic prayer, that we come up to communion with empty hands. What happens if you come up uh, with your hands full of nonsense. You're just not prepared to receive what God has to give. For all of us who struggle, and I sometimes lose my concentration saying Mass, so I'm as guilty as any of you, is we remember how inadequate we are. So why do we go to Mass? Uh, because we recognize we can't do this on our own. We recognize that we need to have ourselves filled with God. So hope to see you at Mass this weekend. God bless you. And uh, keep safe. Say your prayers. Until next week, this is Father John Arnold.